Buenos dias, La Grape Church. Prospero Año Nuevo. I can keep going in Spanish if you want. That's fine. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's a pleasure. It's a blessing for Blanca and myself to be worshiping the Lord with you this morning and sharing his word with you. Uh, this is our last visiting church, our last supporting church we're visiting on this reconnect. We've been in the States since June. And uh, we're heading back, as Blanca mentioned in the children's message, we're heading back on Saturday. We'll be seeing our kids, seeing our dog Muffin, and uh, getting back, seeing our friends in Mexico, and getting back into life and ministry. And so we're excited about that. Uh, the term before this reconnect, we were quite uh, busy with a lot of things, even though the pandemic was... Uh, it seemed like an interruption, but really it didn't interrupt too much. We're grateful that we were able to continue with ministry. Even though things shifted a little bit, uh, I taught my New Testament classes, uh, seminary classes by Zoom, so that was a, a new thing, and did all the team leading for the Mexico field by email and Zoom, and uh, did uh, training with COMPA, university ministry by Zoom. You're getting the, you're getting the idea. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, it was a real blessing. Uh, Blanca was doing uh, her children's club up till that point, and that had to be suspended, but she continued on in ministry as well, ministering to the ladies of the church uh, by WhatsApp and by calls and the occasional visit. And uh, once things cleared up a little bit, she was able to take the ladies on a couple uh, uh, trips outside of Mexico City to get them out of town. And uh, she was able to be a real blessing to those ladies as well. And uh, as we uh, head into 2023, we're getting excited to get back and get involved in different things. Blanca, now that the, you should get an idea, in Mexico City, uh, the schools from <coughs> kindergarten all the way to college only opened up for in-person classes this past semester. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so Blanca is hoping now to get her... I'm going to get uh, a little water here. <clears throat> Sorry, got a little bit of tickle there. Uh, Blanca is hoping now, now that school's opened up to get back into her children's uh, ministry. She has an evangelistic kids club on Saturdays at the church we attend for the neighborhood of the church around the church and uh, for this year only I'm going to take a break for one year hiatus uh, from my New Testament seminary courses <clears throat> and I'm going to be networking and bridge building uh, with different denominations different churches and ministries in Mexico City hoping to build contacts but also to encourage people to volunteer and, and participate in the many organizations that do uh, evangelistic work and social work in, in Mexico City and also to expose uh, churches and, and uh, leaders, leaders to opportunities that the Christian Reformed Church has to offer, like Timothy Institute and other things. So uh, looking forward to that. And then hopefully around this time next year, uh, I'll be able to get back into my teaching. I love that, and I really want to get back into that. But uh, this year, I think it's the need. We do have a position open for a full-time person to come and do networking in Mexico City, and so I'm kind of laying the groundwork for that, but uh, hey, if any of you would like to come down and join us full-time in Mexico City, we've got a spot for you. So thank you so much, LaGrave Church, for your support, for your prayers, 
words of encouragement and mail that we get from people from the grave. And uh, it's a real blessing uh, to be able to be here and see you all again after five years. It was a long haul this time around. And uh, we appreciate your prayers as we pack up and clean up and get ready to head back as well. Thanks. Well, enough about us. It's time to get into God's word. But before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that you will bless us and help us to be attentive to your word, help us to absorb it into our hearts and ears, help us to translate your word into action and into fruit in the lives of others. Lord, uh, bless us as we hear, and then bless us as we head out and share that same word and live it out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our scripture passage comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 1 to 20. So if you want to find that, that's on page 1,560 of your pew Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. The word of the Lord. Now each reconnect, I pick a different theme for the sermons that I preach. And this year the theme has been the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. 
And this sermon is about our responses to the gospel. Responses being plural, because I'm not just thinking of our initial yes or no to the good news of Jesus, but our response to the good news day in and day out throughout the course of our lives. Now, our passage this morning has traditionally been called the parable of the sower, probably because it starts out with the sower, the farmer going out to sow the seeds. But uh, it's really not the best name for this parable. Many preachers have rightly called this the parable of the soils because the focus isn't on the sower. He's just mentioned at the beginning to set up the story. The focus isn't on the seed, the gospel message, either. The seed is the same in every case. The focus is really on the different types of soil that receive the seed. Each type of soil produces different results from the seed of the gospel, even though the seed is the same. So there you have it, the parable of the soils. Now you may not realize this, but this parable is the most fundamental of all of Jesus' parables. In verse 13, Jesus chides his disciples for not understanding this parable. He says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the parables? All the other parables are going to build on this one. If we don't understand this parable, Jesus tells us, then we're not going to get very far with the other parables either. And Matthew and Mark recognize the importance of this parable. They place it at the head of a long series of parables in their respective Gospels. And so the key thing to note about this parable it has, that it, is that it has two main points, and those are going to be the two points of the, of the sermon. The first purpose is this. Jesus tells this story in order to explain and defend the lack of results of his ministry. Lack of results? Does that sound strange to you? It sounded strange to me. You know, we read in the Gospels about all the multitudes around Jesus, the, the crowds pressing in on every side. He has to go into a house or get on a boat in order to get a little break. And those of us who preach and minister think, boy, if that's lack of results, where do I sign up? It doesn't seem like Jesus had poor results in his ministry. The, the numbers look good on paper. But the Gospel of John said it best. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. I think we have to distinguish between the crowds on the one hand and the disciples on the other. Because it wasn't difficult in the ancient world to go into a village and gather a crowd of eager listeners. People were sitting around with nothing to do but work and wait around for the internet to get invented. And if a stranger popped into town with good news about the kingdom, people were going to show up. But it's another thing to attract disciples. The crowds, they don't have to commit to anything. But the disciples, that's another story. The real disciples were few. 
got so bad at one point in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 6 that so many people walked away angry at Jesus' teachings that Jesus had to turn to his key disciples and ask them, are you going to abandon me as well? And so going back to this parable then, Jesus feels he needs to explain and defend the results of his ministry, why they've been so lackluster. If he's really the Messiah, if he's really going out and healing and doing exorcisms and doing miracles, why in the world isn't Israel responding? Why is Israel, for the most part, rejecting him? And the answer is the soils, the hearts of the people. Not everyone was receiving his message with openness and receptivity. Some didn't give attention to his words. They offered excuses and pretexts for not even showing up. They had the opportunity to hear Jesus in person. But Satan robbed the seed from their hearts and they didn't act on what they heard. Others had a positive response at first, lots of excitement. Woohoo, Jesus, way to go, miracles, yeah, great. And they started to follow, but then people started teasing them, making fun of them for following Jesus. And their friends and family started exerting a little social pressure. And then all of a sudden, that excitement evaporated and they went back to their lives unchanged. And they abandoned Jesus and the gospel. Still others responded favorably at first to Jesus, but with time, they got distracted. And the cares of this life and their desires and plans started taking center stage again, got their full attention, and the words of Jesus and his gospel got set aside. Maybe not intentionally, but somehow the idea of responding to Jesus' message got put on their someday maybe to-do list and Sunday that someday never came and this group never produced the fruit that God was looking for in them either only a few people were the kind who listened who believed and then persisted in the gospel long enough to bear fruit now those of us who preach and teach and witness and that should be all of us as we share the gospel with our neighbors and loved ones, we can take consolation from this parable. If we are faithful in communicating the gospel, but we aren't seeing results, we might be tempted to blame ourselves, ah, oh, you know, and maybe me with the sermon, wow, maybe I should have prayed more, maybe I'm not spiritual enough, Maybe it's my preaching style. Maybe I should have read three more commentaries before writing the sermon. But you know, our first reaction shouldn't be to flagellate ourselves and say, bad preacher, bad teacher, bad witness. If Jesus, the Son of God himself, didn't always win people over by what he said, then we shouldn't be too quick to get on ourselves and blame ourselves when our results aren't that big either. It might just be the soil. It might just be the hearts of the people that we witness to. And I don't say that to be judgmental either. In our Reformed theology, we see that no one 
will respond to the gospel unless the Holy Spirit first changes their hearts. When people don't respond, we can say that our listeners weren't ready. Or if we're really optimistic, we can say they just weren't ready yet. And our passage actually talks about this. Jesus says that one of the effects on people of the parables is to close the hearts of some. They'll see, but they won't perceive. They'll hear, but it just won't sink in. The parables act like filters. For those who aren't interested, the parables are cute little stories that give entertainment for a moment, but they're just opaque enough, just difficult enough that they filter out the people who aren't willing to do the hard work of listening carefully and reflecting and investigating and seeking out their real meaning. The difficulty of the parables turns the half-hearted seekers away but activates and energizes the rest, arousing their curiosity. And even they, even the people who will respond with belief and persistence and bearing fruit, might not do so right away. The gospel is like, really like a seed that's sown. And that seed needs to work its way into the soil and do its magic before the soil can produce fruit. And so our job as witnesses, as people who share the gospel with our loved ones, is simply to be faithful in sharing it. Success, if and when it comes, is a bonus. It'll come from the Spirit's work, and we'll count that as a bonus. We just share the message faithfully and joyfully. And if we get a yes, great. But if we get a no, we don't feel the need to pressure ourselves or pressure our hearers. We just let them know that we're available for them when they're ready because we care for them and we want them to have what we have. And so to sum up, the first purpose of the parable of the soils was to explain the lack of response to Jesus' ministry. Now the second and main purpose of the parable, the one we really want to focus on, is to call us to listen and respond. When you hear the good news, whether that be listening to a sermon or reading in your devotions or at a Bible study or hearing Christian music or reading a Christian book, what do you do with that message? What did you do the first time you heard it? And what do you do day in and day out as you hear that word? Now, I put the focus on our everyday response to the gospel because I've seen the tendency in some Christians to make an initial response to the good news, but then coast from there on after. In some traditions, people walk down the aisle during an altar or call. But then some of them go back and live life as they choose because, hey, I got my name in the book. I got my salvation guaranteed. I can continue on my merry way, unchanged. In other traditions, the danger of coasting might come after baptism by immersion or after First Communion. In our Reformed tradition, the temptation to coast might come after making our profession of faith. 
But our response to the gospel is not just a one-time decision. It's a lifetime commitment, a daily renewal of our yes to Jesus Christ. And those different soils are the different attitudes of the heart with which we might approach the Word of God. Some don't show up. Or if they do, they don't pay attention. They don't take things seriously. They're like so many families and friends that I see when they're out at a restaurant or out in public and they're all sitting at a table together, but none of them are conversing with each other because they're all down looking down at their phone or their tablet. And their answer to Jesus is, huh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Jesus, yeah, sure, great idea, yep, yep, yep. Or we might compare them to people who can't even go for a walk without their headphones on. They can't handle the silence. They need the chatter and the music to clog their ears. They don't listen. And if they do, they don't take the time to consider, to reflect, to deliberate, and to think things through. And the seed never sinks in. And the word gets nowhere. And the devil snatches the seed away so they never have to think about it again. Others hear the word and respond. Maybe they get all excited at first. They get it. They see that Jesus is the way. They see that the Bible is God's way and it's the best way. But then their family and friends show up. And these people might start hearing arguments and objections against Christianity. More likely, they're just going to hear snickers and laughter, caricatures, distortion, slanderous insults, negative portrayals of Christianity in the media, on the internet. And in the end, they back off. And they think, boy, if I continue on this road... I'm going to get mocked. I'm going to get persecuted. I'm going to get canceled. Maybe this interest in Jesus was just a phase I was going through, something I need to leave behind. And then the roots of the seed get shriveled up because the soil is too shallow and it can't take root. Like Pontius Pilate, maybe they didn't want to crucify Jesus but social pressure was too great, and they caved in. Now others hear and believe, and they don't shrug off the gospel when they hear it, and they don't give up, they don't cave into social pressure after a brief fling with Jesus and his message. They genuinely believe. But the development of our faith and our walk with Jesus has to compete with so many things. With working and learning and resting and playing and all the activities that press in on us at every side. And so some of us learn to coast when it comes to spiritual things. Prayers get rushed. Devotions and scripture time and scripture memory get put off. Evangelism, sharing our faith, looks too intimidating, and so we say, maybe another day. Volunteering looks too demanding, 
And we think, ah, oh, maybe next week. And it gets tempting to just compartmentalize, doesn't it? To compact all of our Christian activities into one or two Sunday services. And the cares of this life, and I'm not just thinking the big immoral temptations, but the average everyday cares of this life choke us like thorns and thistles. The news gets imperceptibly tighter and tighter. Unless we blame the outside world and all the information barraging us and deluging us from the outside, we need to remember the role of our insides as well, our own thoughts and desires. In our passage, Jesus talks about the worries of this age. That's the worries are from within. The deceitfulness of wealth. The wealth may be on the outside, but we're the ones who on the inside let that wealth deceive us. And the craving for other things, the craving, the desires, that comes from inside. We're filled with so many insecurities that we're not good enough or that our world is going to unravel around us and we think that we're going to find relief in having more money and more knowledge and more friends and more experiences and more activities. The fear of missing out. And at some point we pass from being the people who said yes to Jesus to becoming the people who say uh, yeah, yeah, sure, Jesus, great sermon, yeah, whatever you say, but just not right now, Jesus, because I'm so busy. The thorns grow up and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, we talked about the seed among the rocky places, and I think that's a greater danger for new Christians. They respond, but then the sun comes out, the opposition hits, and they give in. But the seed among thorns is a danger more for those of us who are veterans in the faith, those of us who have had many years in the Christian faith. Believers who get choked by the thorns don't die. They don't lose their faith. They're not going to hell, but they don't produce fruit either. They accommodate to the status quo. They're happy to hear the word as long as it doesn't make too many demands of them, as long as they can go back to their lives unchallenged, untransformed. They're hearers, but not doers. The seed doesn't die in them, but it doesn't produce fruit either. They'll get to heaven, but they'll get there with their hands empty. But thankfully, there's another soil a soil that receives the seed of the gospel. Some respond in all three ways that Jesus desires. They hear, they accept, and they produce fruit. Now, in ancient culture, the word hear actually covered all three of those responses. In biblical theology, if you don't obey the message and act on it, then you really haven't heard the message. Hearing implies obeying and acting on and applying the message. 
And so thinking about application, one application of this parable for today should be obvious. Jesus himself gives the moral at the end of the parable. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. How will you hear? What level of attention and receptivity will you give the good news of Jesus Christ day in and day out? And I ask this because, you know, we who preach, we can't read people's minds. We can't see people's hearts. Are you all listening right now? Or are some of you daydreaming? I can't be sure. And it's even worse for the people live streaming from for me, trying to read out the, the people live streaming from home. During the pandemic, we were doing things by Zoom, and it, my screen looked like a big uh, the Brady Bunch, but with all the squares, they're all black. I didn't know if people were listening or sleeping, or if, even if they were in the room. James says to be doers of the word and not just hearers, but sometimes I wonder how many of us are even hearers. And I don't say it to scold or get on anyone's case, but simply to observe something, that we're being molded more and more by our culture. Our attention span is getting shorter and shorter every year. But true hearing, true listening, is a biblical value and a biblical skill. How can we recover that? That's a good question for the time that you take to do uh, food for thought each week. Uh, how can we get back to becoming good listeners? Now the other application of this parable, we could look at believing, we could look at persevering, but we want to focus on one other thing, and that's the apl application is to bear fruit. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us in the parable what kind of fruit he's looking for, but in the Gospels, it's that we don't have to look far to find out. Jesus summarized all of Christian ethics in two commands, loving God and loving our neighbor. And so the fruit of the Gospel is, first of all, a heart that loves God and gives him all thanks and praise and wants to spend time with him in prayer and when I talk about thanks and praise, I'm including in praise the activity we know as evangelism, as sharing our faith. Because really, what is that other than singing God's praise and telling his story to the people who need to hear it the most? And the fruit of the gospel is also a heart that loves others and forgives them and encourages them, and warns them, and counsels them, and ministers them, and produces works of love and charity. Someday we will stand before Jesus Christ, and he'll be looking to see what fruit we lay at his feet. But you know, the number of sermons you hear doesn't count toward the fruit. The number of times you read, the number of passages you read in the Bible, or the number of times you work your way through the Bible, or the number of verses you memorize, or the number of notes you take for sermons, or the number of Christian books you read, or the number of Christian conferences that you attend, none of that 
counts as the fruit. Because that's not the fruit. That's the seed. That's the seed being sown in you. That's the input. The output, the produce, the fruit is, first of all, our prayer life, our loving God and wanting to spend time with him. It's our praise and thanksgiving, our public announcement to the world how great our God is. And the fruit is how we treat others, and in this day and age especially, how we treat those who are on the opposite side of the fences and the walls that we build between each other. And the fruit is how we invest in others, volunteering and serving and meeting needs and ministering to others. Christian writer Matt Perman worries that we're using the word productivity only in the field of our work, our profession, but productivity, fruitfulness, is something that Jesus looks for in every aspect of our lives. And so in conclusion, I hope that you can see now that this parable of the soils is the key to comprehending all of the parables. Because if we won't approach God's word with hearts that are attentive and open and receptive and teachable, or as we say in Spanish, moldeables, moldable and pliable in his hands, then it won't matter how many parables we understand. It won't matter how many passages we read, how many sermons we hear, because we won't do anything with any of them. We won't act on them. We won't obey them. And that will render all the reading and the hearing and understanding pointless. And so it's good to start out 2023 with this parable. To see the qualities and attitudes with which we need to approach the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of the soils will lead to bad results but I'm confident of better things in your case. I trust that you will steer clear of these traps of the devil and that you'll respond to God's word in a worthy manner. The Grave Avenue Church, Blanc and I thank you for allowing us by your prayers and by your giving and by your words of encouragement, allowing us to teach and preach and live out this gospel in Mexico City. And our prayer for you is that you will never stop hearing this gospel, believing it, and bearing its fruit in your love for God and neighbor. May the one who has ears to hear, let them hear with everything that hearing implies. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, incline your ear to our prayer and give us your grace so that we might incline our ears to your holy word. Embed the good news so deeply in our hearts that it will produce from us a harvest all out of proportion, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, a harvest that gives others what they need and gives you all the glory. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.